0: Good morning, and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and descended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, January 30th, we are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1-15. to In today's text, St. Paul appeals to the Corinthians to bear with him, to watch out for the deceit of false teachers, and to stay faithful to the pure gospel that he has preached among them. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andy Wright. Pastor Wright serves at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Pastor Wright, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me again. Great to be with you. So we get started today. Give us some context. What should we know as we prepare to look at this text from 2 Corinthians 11?
1: Sure. You know, as we're going through 2 Corinthians, there's kind of a a lot of different things that are are popping up. But, uh, you know, as your guest or your listeners have been hearing throughout the various um, episodes that there are people who are in, the, in Corinth at this time teaching things that are contrary to the gospel that Paul has taught to them and established as the church of God in that place. So uh, here where chapter 11 picks up We're coming right out of chapter 10, where Paul is uh, defending his ministry as an apostle, who he is as a called servant of God. And then uh, chapter 10 ends with those famous verses of, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Um, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So then uh, that's going to kind of really form a lot of the beginning of this section of chapter 11 as we understand those who are trying to boast in themselves versus the one who boasts in the Lord, and finally finding our boasting um, in what is sound and what has been handed down to us by Christ. So that's kind of the context where we're picking up here in 2 Corinthians as we, he's laid the groundwork already for kind of uh, you know the generosity of, uh, you know, we think about the Macedonians he talks about in various places. He's talking about, you know, the various... Um, various things from Titus and all of that stuff. Now he's going to really kind of address the false apostles head-on here in chapter 11, and kind of really things
0: come to a a head, so to speak, here at the beginning of of this chapter. Sure. One of our our previous guests, Dr. Adam Kuntz, had suggested that we maybe should think about 2 Corinthians— in line with the pastoral epistles that Paul writes, though he writes it to a congregation rather than to the the pastor. And I really think that that in these latter chapters and particularly our section today, you really see the heart of Paul as the the pastor for this congregation.
1: I think that's really a, a helpful point because he he's admonishing them, he's exhorting them, but he's also really showing this pastoral concern as we'll hear on what he says here in a few minutes. But the, the motivation, it's not just that he's trying to defend his ego. He's trying to defend Christ. And so he's trying to protect them from these people who would tear them away from Christ. And that's the pastoral concern in that. Um, and so it is in very, I, I, I like that of kind of comparing it with the pastoral epistles, especially here in these later chapters, that it's very practical too, and, and just straightforward of, of entreating them and instructing them about what is wrong and what is good and proper
0: as Christians. All right, let's take a look at this text. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray by, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself? So that you might be exalted, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained, and will refrain, from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do, and what I do I will continue to do, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end... Will correspond to their deeds. That is our text for today. That 2 Corinthians chapter eleven, verses one to fifteen. Pastor Wright, Paul begins here by appealing to the Corinthians to bear with him in a little foolishness. What does he mean there?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. You know that you bear with me in a little foolishness. You know, often we think of foolishness of kind of silliness or any of these kind of things like uh, you know. My kids will act foolish at times, uh, you know, just jumping all around and doing crazy stuff. Foolishness in the scripture sometimes too. we think of even equated with unbelief, the fool, like you think in Proverbs, as opposed to wisdom, contrasting with that. But here Paul is really kind of, um, I think hearkening back to even 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when he desired to know nothing among them except Christ and him crucified. And, uh, you know, we think about this idea of that the foolishness of the gospel or the foolishness of, of what we preach saves people. So um, earlier in chapter 10, um, Paul kind of starts off appealing to them uh, that he appeals to that they would see his boldness. Now this foolishness. But all of this is done in humility. And a few minutes ago I mentioned how chapter 10 ends with the one boasting in the Lord. So now as Paul is going to address head on these super apostles are ones who are kind of putting themselves forward for their own personal gain or any number of things boasting in themselves here he's getting them to see to to bear with him in his foolishness is to kind of just to let himself decrease and to see who christ has called him to be as an apostle and let that message of christ and that sound doctrine go forth so to to bear with him um, and a little foolishness is basically to say, listen, it's not about me and my ego. It's not about me and who I am. I'm the one who's the who's foolish in in those worldly senses, and I'm not. And I'll talk about rhetoric here in a few minutes, but you know, just uh, you know, let's just get to to the brass tacks of you know who it is that God has called me to be, who it is that God has called you to be, and what is this message of Christ. So I think that's what he's getting at with this appeal to, to foolishness. Um, it's just uh in some ways you can sense um you know, I don't know the tone that w- of which he writes this too. you know the the scriptures are meant to be heard, we know you know they were meant to be read out loud, and so in this letter he's 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 uh and he he's addressing some very serious things with the Corinthians, but you can almost when you read this, you sense uh kind of the the fatherliness in it too, but also that that aura and sense of rebuke too. And just of come on guys, listen. You know, listen. Pay attention. You know better than this. And and it, you almost kind of I get that sense even when he says to bear with me in little foolishness, okay, guys, listen to me, you know, listen, listen what's going on here. Let me be a fool, so that you would hear and know, you know, what's going on
0: so with the the appeal then to the to bear with this foolishness I, if i if I'm following with you then there's a there's a positive aspect to it in the sense that the gospel seems like foolishness to men and so bear with me hold fast to this gospel which looks like foolishness to the world but really is the wisdom of God which again goes back to the first couple chapters of the first epistle i I also wonder if maybe there's a Aren't uh, more on the negative aspect of it. Bear with him in the foolishness. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound kind of boastful here for a little while. Uh, bear with me on that, and and keep in mind it's really not about me, but it's about ultimately the foolishness of the gospel. Maybe a little bit of both things going on is is how I'm I'm hearing some of both. I guess.
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I think that because he is going to start boasting here, but in a proper way, and and. And what he does is, and when Paul boasts in this section, it's, it's actually to the shame of the super apostles, because right. we'll see what, what is he going to boast about? Well, not, not trying to receive all this fame and money from the gospel, right? You know, so I'm the fool who's doing this for free, right? You know, all those kind of things. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It, in some ways, he's, he's um, yeah, what, what they're holding and valuing or getting caught up in or being deceived by. You know it's going to look foolish to them but also this is the foolishness of, of what Paul does too um, yeah I, I think sure. that's a good point
0: well and, and in the the text that we've got tomorrow the rest of this chapter when he starts listing some of his accomplishments they don't sound like what we normally would think of of accomplishments to be not to steal all the thunder from from the next guest but he's going to talk a lot about his sufferings and that's where the the boasting is going to lie which again I think you see that dual aspect of the foolishness there that yeah I'm gonna boast a little bit for a while. But it's gonna be boasting in something that you're probably not expecting me to boast about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right after this, right, yeah. And like you said, not to steal the thunder from the next guest, but but the 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 true apostle of Paul boasts in the sufferings for the sake of Christ, not in, in personal gain on Christ for Christ's expense. And I you really get that theology of glory, theology of the cross here in First Corinthians, or excuse me, second Corinthians eleven
0: here that gets contrasted pretty starkly. Yeah. So ha- having asked them to bear with him, then and Paul says he has this divine jealousy for the Corinthians because he has betrothed them to one husband as a pure vir- virgin to Christ. What's he saying there in that next verse?
1: Sure. Yeah, this is almost, uh, he kind of takes on this fatherly tone with them again. Mm-hmm. So there's this divine jealousy. I mean, we talk about jealousy in different senses. We talk about sin- sinfully, we, we are jealous. We think about coveting, you know, in the ninth and tenth commandments um, or envy and, and things like that. But we know that God has a divine jealousy. You know, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And for the jealousness of God is this zeal and even his compassion that we see at times as well. But the divine jealousy that he has for them is he doesn't want anybody to take them away from, from Christ and his teaching. So as he is the kind of the the one who has established and and uh, the, the spiritual father of these people in Corinth, he's betrothed them to Christ. He is the father who has come in and Christ and his bridegroom, the church are oh, betrothed to one another and waiting that day of consummation. He doesn't want their, that betrothal to be lost. He doesn't want them to be severed. He, he has given them to their bridegroom, Jesus. And what these Um, super apostles are doing is trying to take them away from the one who their spiritual father has betrothed them to the one who's looking after them as a father would betroth his daughter to you know a a suitable husband you know out of love and compassion and jealousy in a proper sense of the word you know as a father if your your daughter is going to marry a good christian you know good lutheran young man you don't want her to then to some other guy to come in and steal her away right i mean that yeah, that's that's what a father does, and so here, then he kind of uses borrows that language of um, you know marriage, which is churchy language. This is where I think too you kind of get that like what Doctor Kuntz, you were saying was talking about with this pastoral epistle type of thing. It's very pastoral. You know, we talk about um, you know the the different fathers that we have in you know, the large catechism. Luther talks about the three fathers: the earthly father, you know, fathers in the government, and spiritual fathers and things. And this spiritual father at, Nature here, um, he cares for his his children in Corinth, and they're being ripped away from Christ. Mm-hmm.
0: I talk a little bit more just about the image of the church being the bridegroom, this pure virgin, and Christ as the sorry, the church as the bride, and Christ as the bridegroom that Paul picks up here. That talk just a little bit more about that that relationship between Christ and His church.
1: Sure, I I think kind of this language too as a pure virgin is a is a telling thing too um, pure virgin has the language of undefiled and unstained. And what false doctrine does and false teachers is they, they corrupt and they do stain, they defile, they defile the body of Christ. You know, um, that, uh, it's something that, I don't know, and maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it, but I, I think at times that it's just as, as a pastor, I'm sure you've run into this that people just kind of downplay well it's not that serious you know these little differences in doctrine or these little this teachers oh they'll read some book by you know whatever insert the blank teacher is and it's like well that's not going to hurt me you know well you know yeah it will it can because uh so we should desire to remain pure as the body of christ and to be that um to desire and and take delight in the fact that we have the pure teaching of the scriptures and to not neglect those things so that that language of of the pure virgin as the body of christ is one that we belong only to jesus right and we're undefiled and unstained by virtue of our baptism i mean ephesians 5 talks about him presenting us before the father you know uh, without blemish or spot you know those things like that and so um he's laying before them this this regard to kind of building or not building them up, maybe really kind of emphasizing, Hey, listen, this is what you have and how wonderful it is. You know, don't, don't defile that. Don't corrupt that. So even as we think about now as the body of Christ, that we, we are that same pure virgin that is, that has Christ as our head and Christ mm-hmm. as our bridegroom and we belong to him. And uh, there's, it's a beautiful thing and a beautiful image and a beautiful Righteousness, um, a beautiful, you know, holiness, a beautiful, just um, who we are as His people that God has has given us and called us to be.
0: Yeah, to to the matter of the seriousness of these things and the the importance of pure doctrine and avoiding false doctrine, I think Paul invites us to consider just how serious a matter we have by bringing out the role of the evil one in this, not only in the verse three, but coming up again. Uh, talk about how how that plays into this this image of the marriage, uh, bringing up the example of the way the serpent deceived Eve. Sure.
1: Yeah, he um, in verse three he he says, um, uh, let me jump here, looking at my text. Yeah, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his coming cunning, your thoughts will be, led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So, you know, um, even using going that imagery, so he's used that image of the church in Christ. He's, and now he's going back to Eve as well. Hmm. And it's, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, right? We know in Ecclesiastes, or we think about um, Luther in the Small Cloud articles talks about how original sin was to doubt God's word. You know, when he talks about the ses- um, section on confession absolution, that they wanted to seek God apart from his word. So Eve was deceived um, by the cunning of the serpent who wanted her to doubt what God had said. So now then um, that uh, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, just as, you know, so he's using that analogy of Eve being led astray by the serpent. Now that's the same thing is happening to them. He's like, look, guys, remember what happened to Eve? That's you. You're, you're being tempted into that same uh, de- deceit by the devil, you're being uh, to doubt the word of God to follow off into that path, um, you know, just as Eve did. And um, Mark Seifried, who's a professor at St. Louis and his commentary on Second Corinthians kind of brings up the point that, I mean, this is still a present reality that we deal with, you know, as we think about sin, and, you know, that those same tricks of the devil were not just something in the past but that deception and cunning of wanting to heed the voice of the devil and draw our, our focus off of Christ and his word is still ever present in our lives. You know, it, that, that temptation is real to to want to go away from that and, and be deceived just as Eve was. You know, um, that uh, it's not like that, uh, that was a once and done thing. No, sh- that still happens. God's people are led astray. Now, God is faithful and he preserves and guards and keeps them. And he does that through his word. But woe well upon us when we take our eyes off that word and are deceived and into going after, um, as he says in verse four, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than what we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You know, so um, you are, you're, I'm warning you, but if you do these things, you're you're, you're already doing it. You're putting up with it you're tolerating it, you know, to use language that we hear all the time today, you know, if, if you, yeah. you tolerate these things, you've already been deceived.
0: You're putting up with it. Yeah, it, it struck me in, in verse 3 how it this this deception starts in the, the thoughts, your thoughts are led astray. And again, thinking about, about Eve, we maybe focus on the, the action that she takes when she takes from the tree and she eats and then gives some to her husband who is with with her, but the deception had already started in her thoughts. Uh, the dece- The deception started again with that that false doctrine, as you were reminding us from the Small Cult articles, that it, the attack on the word, that's what led to the the false actions, and certainly the false actions, the sinful actions, were not good. But it started with that attack on the on the word and in the thoughts of of Adam and Eve, and so for the Corinthians, and so for us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, that's where. Um... You know, the, the seriousness of sin is such that it, it's even in our, our our thoughts and our words and our deeds, all of those things. and Or even that, uh, you know, when we talk about concupiscence, you know, that mm. that turning inward and uh, even those desires that we have to those, you know, it's appealing, um, especially, you know, if you have these guys coming in and, and are using lofty speech and they're proclaiming to you something that maybe seems to be appealing, or even if it's, you know, close to the truth, but. Whatever those things may be, your thoughts can easily be enticed by that. Mm. You know, to you know, as Eve saw that the fruit was good, you know, uh, she desired that fruit to eat of it before she even ate of it. Um, so, I mean, that's a that's a warning to us as well. You know, to to keep our thoughts pure as well. Um, that we practice that that discipline and self control that God gives us as a fruit of the spirit to mm. to not even let our thoughts be. Um, conform to those things. And I, I think that's an important thing. I mean, Paul appeals to that, you know, in different places in Second Corinthians, but throughout his letters, I mean, Romans, you see this all the time, the place of the conscience or the place of the Christian's mind that um, you think differently as a Christian and you view things differently. So for these Corinthians who Paul preached Christ to them, um, they should be thinking differently when they can encounter these these uh, super apostles or whatever, or false apostles, as they will call them too, you know that um, you know it's uh yeah they their minds should be set on things above. Their minds should be transformed into a a Christian mind that, that is not deceived by these things.
0: Yeah, the in verse four, the way that there there's a bit of parallelism that you have this. You know, another Jesus or a different spirit or a different gospel—those those things, Jesus, the spirit, the gospel—are are inseparable. And and as are, as Paul reminds us in Galatians, it's not like there is a different Jesus or another gospel. There is only one, and so to to tolerate another one or a different one is actually to lose the only one that there is.
1: Yeah, that's a great point too, because. Um you know as we get back to that point about the seriousness of doctrine and and false teachers um there's only one christ and the the one christ is is given is revealed to us in the scriptures and when you want to preach another christ then that's a false christ it's not like you know it's jesus's twin brother or no i mean you know uh matthew richard has that book that i've gone through a few times with different Congregations of will the real, real Jesus please stand up? And I think that's really, I mean, he's kind of alluding to that here and in Galatians too, right? I mean, it's just what Jesus are you really worshiping at that point, or what gospel do you really have? It's it's no gospel. It's it's not Christ. Um, we just finished a a lengthy Bible study on Christology here at St. John's on Wednesday nights, and we were kind of looking at the end at kind of the implications of what what are you saying if. Jesus, um, if his human nature and his divine nature are not fully united, you know, in one person, or what are the implications if Jesus can't be present in the Lord's supper, you know, that he can't, uh, bodily be present, you know, that the divine nature cannot communicate the, the human nature. You're in a sense, creating a different Christ. You're creating a Christ, not of the scriptures, but another Christ that is a false Christ. So this, this warning to them for someone else to come in and proclaim something other than the one that he proclaimed, because he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? It goes back to this a- apostolic office that he has been given by Christ himself. Then, um, I mean, they're being deceived, um, yeah. which it kind of is getting to another point that's running through this whole letter too. And, and maybe you've talked about this at length as well with some of the other guests, um, the, just the, the very character of the apostolic office to have that authority of Christ that what he preached is the authority of Jesus, not because he is great, but but Christ had called him to do so. I mean, Luther will talk about this when he talks about like clandestine preachers, for instance, even if they come in and they say something well, like, so on the kind of, on the flip side of this, so somebody might be saying something well and might be saying something good, but has Christ called them to do this? There's a reason why article 14 of the Augsburg Confession, like why we hold to that, that there's that, um, certainty and authority of Jesus that goes along with the office of the ministry. You know, that's the, that goes along with the word of God. And so, you know, when on Sunday morning, when you're, uh, when the saints of God who you serve, they hear you, they know that Christ sent you to preach to them. You know, me, it's me at St. John's and our associate pastor, you know, um, there, and so it kind of, that's on the other side of this as well, you know, So for Paul then, you know, this apostolic office that he has, it coincides, it's one and the same, like you said, with the gospel too, that he is the true apostle who has been sent by Christ to preach the true gospel. And when you want to take all those things out of that picture here, like what they're wanting to do, you end the whole house crumbles, everything falls apart, and you end up having another Christ, you end up having another gospel, you end up having another church, and you end up having Really, nothing. Nothing but yeah, falsehood.
0: That's right. Well, and, and you end up, again, to, to go back to the danger that he mentions in verse two, you end up going away from the only true husband, who is Christ, the only true Savior. And, and that is the, the danger that Paul wants the Corinthians to avoid. We're going to keep looking at what he says here in chapter 11 more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Andy Wright this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around.
2: Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members, and church workers alike make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org.
0: Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, January thirtieth. We're studying Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verses one to fifteen, with Pastor Andy Wright. He serves at Saint John's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Pastor Wright, prior to the break, you were talking about Article fourteen of the Augsburg Confession and the importance of knowing the one who is called to you and to listen to that one. And I do think that that's that's here in this this text. And it kind of it strikes me because our section begins where Paul says, "Bear with me." A little bit in this foolishness, and then in verse four he talks about you guys are you're bearing and I, it, if I'm reading the Greek right, it's the same word in Greek. You're putting up with, you're tolerating, you're bearing this false teaching. So it seems to me that the Corinthians have it backwards here. They they like these super apostles because their person seems okay, and and that's the type of person they want to have, which is causing them to bear the false teaching. Instead, they should bear the true apostle and whatever weaknesses he may have, and stick to the truth. They've got it They've got it backwards, it seems. And it seems that that's kind of a temptation for all of us, is to follow after the preacher that we like, and, well, we'll put up a, with a little false teaching. Rather, we should put up with the weaknesses of our true preachers, and not bear any false teaching, hold them to the true doctrine.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it's really quite the juxtaposition here that he... Puts before them, and but the temptation is real. Like how easily will we kind of um sweep under the rug, or or be tolerant of you know, oh well, it's mostly true what that person's saying or whatever. But then the pastor who God actually has called to us, I mean, no excuse for even you know false teachers who got. It's called us, you know, before I Mets, we were to hold them accountable. But yet, you know, we, we nitpick, you know, well, he's weird or, he, you know, all these things like that. Right. We don't bear with the actual servant that God has sent to us and said, Hey, listen to this guy. But other ones were like, well, you know, um, I mean, I, I think there's even a temptation this, not to get down a whole other rabbit hole, but sometimes it's such a blessing. Like, I mean, we have programs like this, Sharper Iron, right. Sure. Um, or, or even other things that, uh, it's easy for us to kind of be tempted to think, oh, that pastor is better than my pastor. No, there's nobody better than your own pastor. You know, that he's the one that God has called you to, you know, things like this exist to help one another and to build one another up and sharpen one another, those things like that. But it, it's easy to get attached to certain things and kind of almost get like a celebrity, you know, pastor thing, even in our own midst, that temptation is real. Even amongst pastors too, you, you know, you, you kind of, you, it's, it's tempting to copy the style or the, you know, somebody you admire and and those things. I mean, and some of those things have their place, but, but uh, you know, to, but to bear with your pastor, you know, um, to, to bear um, those things with him and, uh, and to listen to him.
0: Uh, and yeah. I think
1: that's uh, something for us as we think about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, right, right? We're not we're not the super pastors here because we're on the radio. As you said, we're sharpening each other, sharpening those right. who listen. But your pastor, he is the one that has been given to you by God. So, bear with him in his weaknesses and and expect the the true doctrine from him. And where he gives you that true doctrine, absolutely bear with his weaknesses. Don't be led astray by someone who looks flashier, but that's going to force you to, to deal with false doctrine. You, you can't bear the false doctrine. you bear the weaknesses of the person and and stick to the truth. And again, the Corinthians are in danger of getting it backwards, so might we be and, and Paul again that's where you see the the nature of this as a, a sort of a pastoral epistle to a congregation, consider this one whom God has made to be the servant among you, bear with his weaknesses and so that you can hear the true doctrine that he has there that he's there to preach to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Paul then begins a little bit more comparison to himself to these, uh, as he says, super apostles, and it's not in quotes in the ESV that I'm looking at, but I think there should be sort of these these air quotes around the word super apostles. I think he's, he's using that term uh, de- in a derogatory way, especially as he gets later and calls them outright false apostles. Uh, what does he say here in verses 5 and 6 as he begins to compare himself to them?
1: Yeah. So in five and six, he he starts off by saying, um, "Need I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles?" So he just point blank now goes after these fault these super apostles. And what does he say? I'm not least to them, right? He's not gonna. He's not gonna. He he doesn't even try to. Um, I, you know, I I think it, sometimes we we get a little uneasy. We always think that, Oh, I should try to find something nice to say about somebody, but then we stick, you know, then if I say something nice, then I can really let them have it. Right. (laughs) You know um, it's like, well, you know, these super apostles, they're, they're nice guys, but you know, no, I'm not the least of these, right. You know, they're, they're not any better than I am, you know, in fact I'm better (laughs) is what he'll go on to say. Right. Because they're, they're false apostles. So, um, this word super apostle here too, um, the ESV has that, you'll sometimes hear like, um, apostles beyond measure, or, uh, I'm not sure, I can't remember what the new King James says when, if it says super apostle as well, uh, eminent apostles, that's right. Mm. Eminent. It's this, uh, you know, point of above, you know, kind of this, these apostles, these over, like the hyper ones, hyper apostles, you know, kind of, um, you know, um, but he, so he's just starting to address them right, outright that I, uh, I am not inferior to these guys. You know, yeah. uh, I, I am not. And then into verse six, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge, indeed, in every way. We have made this plain to you in all things. So, uh, you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he makes that point, And he'll do this in different epistles, you know, too, that you think about the Greek you know, mind and culture that valued rhetoric and, you know, lofty speech, you know, uh, Greeks Jews demand science, Greeks seek wisdom, you know, this all this kind of philosophical things. Paul, time and again, you know, is constantly saying, listen, I'm not trying to just woo woo you with my words. But, uh, you know, he does have the knowledge. What is the knowledge that he has? Well, he has the faith that Christ has given to him. He has the scriptures. And he has that, you know, as that apostle, he's the one who's who's addressing them with this knowledge. Now the irony in all of this too, and and I don't know what you think about this, but it's always funny too, when Paul talks about, even if I'm unskilled in speaking, he seems pretty skilled in speaking to me. Like you wouldn't want to get into a verbal sparring match with the apostle Paul. I think he would come out on top on that one. I don't know. That's just, every time he hears, I always have to chuckle, even though I'm not skilled in speaking. I think he are Paul, but I, I get the point that he's making, right? It's true what he's saying, but he's not like a classical rhetorician, you know, who maybe these super apostles might've been, you know, like some wise Greek philosophical mind or or whatever, you know, who, who do those things. Um, Because, I mean, we get swayed in like people who, uh, and it's always fascinating that you, you hear people speak, that people who think are good preachers or good speakers, right. Uh, You know, you'll just listen to people like, well, what makes them a good preacher? Well, look at how, you know, they said this. We get more caught up in how something said rather than what is said. Now, it's mm-hmm. not to say delivery and how something is said doesn't matter. You, as pastors, we we go to great lengths to deliver it properly and and communicate that well. But we're not going to. It, we don't just do that. We don't put on an act in the pulpit and then what we say is just a bunch of yeah nothingness. You know, yeah. um, that 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 doesn't do any, anybody any good. But, um, but here he's saying, indeed, we have made this plain to you in all things. You know, the gospel, I mean, this Christ crucified is what he's been preaching to them. So not some lofty, lofty speech and, and rhetoric, but the, the simpleness or the foolishness to, you know, go back to that word of the gospel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, even this mention of in every way we've made this plain to you, in all things, the, the every, the all, it reminded me of the way Jesus speaks at the end of Matthew's gospel, that to teach all things that I have commanded you. So, you know, those things he mentioned earlier, the gospel, Jesus, the Spirit, nothing different. Paul says, look, I've, I've taught you all things, and, and I've got that knowledge, even if, which again, I, I'm with you, I, I think he probably was pretty skilled in, in speaking, even though that wasn't the point. Uh, even if that's that's not there. He's got this knowledge, and he's given it to the Corinthians. And so, don't don't let go of that. Don't don't bear with some other teaching. Again, bear with your pastor, and and stick with the truth that he's preaching to you.
1: Right. I mean, you also think in the book of Acts too, with the address to the Ephesian elders. Mm-hmm. I did not shrink mm-hmm. from proclaiming the whole counsel of God. So Paul has been giving them. You know, I mean, that was to to Ephesus, but you know, here that you think about uh, this whole council of God, he's made plain to them all things. He's been, he hasn't w- been withholding from them. He hasn't been trying to to uh, schmooze things over and tell them just what they want to hear, or maybe things that aren't. He, he's told them, I mean, even just looking at First Corinthians, for instance, too, I mean, you have the instance that he addressed, like in First Corinthians 6 and 7, with some of the sexual immorality, those were hard sayings, or rebukes that he has in First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, you know, with tongues and and orderliness and all those things like that. Mm-hmm. If he would have been out just to, to, uh, you know, lofty speech, lofty speech, or just to, to, you know, make friends and influence people, he wouldn't have said those things to them. Yeah. Right. But no, he made to them all that was given to them to know. And the knowledge that he has is both law and gospel condemnation and, um, forgiveness. And mm-hmm. so this call to repentance then, and he calls them to, you know, um, it's just like, uh, I mean, you think about this too, like we, we, uh, I can't remember what hymn it is now. It might be in God, my faithful God, you know, give me friends, you know, yeah. um, that we, yeah. we pray for Christian friends who actually tell us what we need to hear, right? A good yeah. friend actually cares enough to say what you need to hear. A good pastor tells you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. And not what, what itching ears want to hear. And he's plain in it too. You know, he doesn't mince words. Sometimes, you know, you, you just have to tell him, listen, you're being deceived. Stop it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're right. It's, it's, oh God, my faithful God. It's number 696 in, in Lutheran service yeah, book. There you and go. The, let let me find good friends for counsel and correction is the, is the prayer within that hymn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. That's a great hymn, by the way, just in general, it would be a good funeral hymn just to throw that, that plug out there. So as, I always as, use it as a great catechetical
1: hymn on the eighth commandment too.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's I, right.
1: I I, th- I think that really deals with that well with those things, but yeah, go yeah. ahead. Sorry.
0: No, no I was just say I was just gonna keep it it's a great hymn it, it does a lot of a lot of teaching within the the span of those few stanzas that it has so consider it 696 in Lutheran <laughs> service book oh God my faithful God so to, to keep us then moving through the text uh, Paul Paul changes tactics a little bit or moves to a slightly different point to, to hammer home what he's getting at and he brings up the the matter of his compensation or lack thereof in his ministry to the Corinthians it's something he brought up in the previous epistle as well uh, what's he saying here about this matter of, of not taking compensation and robbing other churches what's he what's he saying what's he getting at sure so um you know obviously in first Corinthians 9:14
1: he is due the compensation, you know, we, you know, as pastors, you know, we don't do it for the money, right. That's not why we're pastors. However, it's not wrong for us to be compensated for what we do. And that's why we, uh, you know, church budgets, they talk about the pastor's compensation, you know, I mean, even even the word salary is used to, but point being, it's not wrong to make a living from the gospel. That's not sinful to do those things. You and I both have families and, And we make a living from the gospel and our kids have food on their tables because of us you know preaching and teaching the gospel and that's good right and salutary so here then though um he as paul is um kind of putting himself over and above um you know to kind of use that language of of the hyper you know over and above the the super apostles what he's saying is look here I'm not taking things compensation. I'm doing this free of charge, I, especially when you have these these guys who apparently it doesn't tell us what all is going on with how this was was happening, but there seems to be this this uh, this sense that um, they are possibly making uh, quite a bit of a a profit of the gospel, mm-hmm. or I, let me back up of the gospel they are preaching. We should say that right. you know, not the true gospel. So he is then um, he he kind of puts this uh, rhetorical question before them, did I commit a sin and humbling myself so that you might be exalted? you know that's how he starts that off before he mentions this too. so it's like, was I sinning when I wanted you guys to be exalted and me to be humbled? Was I sinning when um, i didn't ta- I didn't want to burn you guys and take this this wages from you but yet wanted you to you know to to be exalted in these things uh I mean that, that's pretty harsh, too, what he says. Even as as much as he's telling them that he's doing this, that that they to be exalted, but it's to, it's to their shame. Um, and then he goes on and kind of that hyperbolic statement: "I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you." Mm-hmm. So here, what are these other churches we think about? Even like the Macedonians, right, who right. were hurting, yeah. you know, they helped pay Paul so that he could go on his missionary journeys and to to preach the gospel. And these people now then. Who are getting conned by false apostles then you know so i mean there's such a divine irony in that right here's this guy who's not taking compensation who other congregations who are in need and poor they're the ones that are helping support his ministry and yet these people are the ones then who are getting taken advantage of willingly you know by this i mean it's this i mean that's pretty it's uh, pretty in- indicting to the people. So he he's been going after the apostles, but he's he's really he's hitting them between the eyes here. I think in this in these verses,
0: yeah, and and in that sense, then and this at least in the background of this seems to be some of the themes that have come up previously in this epistle and in First Corinthians, both about the unity of the church, the the fellowship, the koinonia that we have in Christ. If if they follow after these super apostles, false apostles they're actually forsaking not just Paul as their as their father in Christ but they're forsaking the rest of the church and the unity that they would have and i mean again thinking about the the role that the offering for the saints has played again both in both of the epistles to the corinthians bringing that up here is is just another reminder of what they're what they're letting go if they follow after this different gospel
1: yeah yeah absolutely i mean uh I don't have much experience with mission work, you know, uh, I am not a missionary, but I mean, you'll hear stories of missions, you know, of supporting, you know, things. And then it's, it's really easy maybe, and in, in places that are in need to, to be enticed by, you know, um, uh, other financial, you know, uh, sure. financial things, you know, it, it's, a uh, uh, you'll hear stories of, of missionaries tell some of that stuff that they have to fight against sometimes like Paul, you know. But uh but yeah it, it and that's the thing too I, I I like you're talking about with the whole body of Christ, so here then, not only are these super apostles deceiving them, and not only are they hurting them, but what does that say about these other people who are helping to pay Paul so that he can help them help serve the Corinthians that's you're not only insulting Paul, you're insulting the whole body of Christ mm-hmm. you know um and, and that's the thing too when you um, as we think about even who we are as the Church of God to to rejoice and treasure and uh the the sound words and the sound doctrine that god has given to us and then to go off um chasing after you know these false teachings and false uh, teachers i mean what does that say for those who are faithfully hearing god's word and supporting it and, and sacrificing much for the sake of the gospel um I just, uh, I mean, we we kind of forget that corporate nature of the church at times and think we're an island unto ourselves and, you know, and everything matters around us. But, uh, but, uh, but there's great comfort in the, in the flip side of that too, that yeah. you think about then that, that plain gospel that, that we have is what you have. And, you know, that we both preach that same thing together and the unity that we have or in other countries or, or whatever. I mean, the, the, the unity that the Holy Spirit creates by the Word of God is a is a wonderful thing, and to to throw that away um, is is quite quite sad.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where, you, as you said, he's he's kind of hitting them between the the eyes here. But on the other hand, reminding them of the positive thing that he has extolled that they would yeah. be losing if they follow after these so called super apostles. Now he as as our text. Draws toward a, a conclusion, he he starts to tell us uh, really what he thinks about these guys. If if he's been holding back, he doesn't hold back starting in verses twelve to fifteen. So how does take us into some of the things that that we've got here in this last paragraph?
1: Sure. Um, and so verse twelve, he starts off by saying, "And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine." the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. So Paul is saying, not only have I've been doing this, but guess what guys, I'm going to continue to do it. Why? Cause it will undermine them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, there's a, there's a, uh, I mean, boasting in a, in a, in a good sense, right. Uh, of boasting in the Lord, but also this, um, you know, I'm not ashamed of what I'm doing. And and not only that, but I'm going to do it all the more just for the sake of undermining those guys. I mean, how often do you hear that, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And then verse 14, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, there's that I, to me, I can just hear him saying that, right? You know, it's yeah. just like, you can just, as you're talking to somebody, you know, and, and no wonder they do this, right? I mean, Satan disguises himself. These guys are disguising themselves as apostles. I mean, boy, whew. I mean, he, he, uh, he takes the gloves off. I mean, these, he, he's really letting them have it. Um, and then, uh, you know, I mean, we can come back. But so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds that's uh that's pretty terrifying
0: <laughs> well it is and this is where again we come back to that thought of the seriousness of of not only the false doctrine but then of being a false teacher and i when i think of severe words against false teachers in the new testament this has got to rank right up there. 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter's got some yep. pretty harsh words against th- those who would teach falsely, but this is, is right up there with it. Because he, I mean, no wonder these people disguise themselves because they're simply following after the one that they serve, who is not Christ, not Jesus, not the Spirit, not the Gospel. They are actually following after Satan himself, who has disguised himself as an angel of light. And this, again, when you think about how much false teaching is, is too much? How much can I listen to a false teacher? Paul's got something that we really do well to take into consideration as we, we think about that. Right. Yeah. He 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 puts the he flips
1: the question on its head. You know, we, we always want to say, well, how much is too much, or how little is okay. Paul says, are they false teachers or not? Right. Yeah. That's the question that he asks. Are they false teachers? Don't listen to them. So it's it's that simple. It's that simple. Right, I mean, um. So listen to Paul. He's a he's a, an authentic apostle. Um, and, and bear with him. You know, bear with him, knowing that he's a sinful man. But but bear with him. But yeah, I mean, it's just. Uh, I, I mean the, that the greatest sin against the second commandment is false teaching. You know, in the large catechism, we talk about this, and and there's a reason why. Um, you know, we we make so. So, so much of a big deal of this and, and he does too and we have to we can't be afraid to be honest about it too that the false teachers and the false um teachings they're not of god they're of the devil even as innocuous as it may seem to be or as little as it may seem to be if it's not of the scriptures it's not godly yeah. and that's a you know a, and that's a that's a harsh thing but it's it's a true thing. And that's, um, and, and it's, all of this is done out of love too, right? What, what is Paul saying in all of this too? It's, um, I mean, back in verse 11 and why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do, right? Yeah. Paul loves these people. That's why he's fired up about this. That's why he's calling a spade a spade because he loves the Corinthians. If he didn't love the Corinthians, he wouldn't care if these super apostles came in. He wouldn't care, whatever. He would just would move on. No, but he loves them just as christ loves them and kind of that fatherly nature too or the pastoral nature of all of this you know um you know you the the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep hmm. and a faithful shepherd um loves his loves his sheep um as a faithful under shepherd and he he will um call them to repentance he will speak harsh words so that they would turn and so that they would cling to christ all the more and his salvation and his word
0: Yeah, I mean, elsewhere in this epistle, Paul has talked about how when he was afflicted and the other true apostles with him, that was all for the sake of the Corinthians, for the sake of their comfort. So Paul is is willing, as a faithful under-shepherd, to endure those things. You know, as we think about the the danger of false teaching and the danger of false teachers, I do think it's worth noticing in this text how Paul is careful to distinguish the way that he talks about and treats those who are falsely taught versus those who are false teachers. The the Corinthians at this moment are those who are being falsely taught, and he certainly speaks directly to them, but also with a spirit of gentleness to call them back. With those that he has, in this case, deemed to be false teachers, he has nothing but this is who you are. You are of your father, the devil. But even then, as you said, there is this element of of wanting to call them back. I think back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this thought of handing someone over to Satan for the purpose of saving them. Uh, calling them out in that strong of language, I think also needs to be for, for the purpose of of their repentance, even at this drastic hour.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Martin Luther will talk about this in his Galatians commentary, too, when he talks about, like, um... How you deal with false teachers versus those who are being deceived, and like you have you have patience with with those who are being deceived by false teachers you know the sheep you have you, um you know Luther uses that language of sheep and, and shepherds that uh you you um you know that uh they they're just being deceived and and you have that that compassion for them the false shepherds or the false teachers as Paul does here. I mean, he shows us there there's not patience with that. You know, they, they know better. Um, Or, I mean, they should know better. Even that it, that's, a, uh, I mean, so that's why, uh, even in Romans later, he'll talk about, you know, marking and avoiding things. You know, we, we, uh, will sometimes talk about the avoiding, but the marking too. So for those people who are being led astray and that patience that he has and that compassion for them, that he talks about this, but there's this marking, you know, so that you know what to avoid too. I mean, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but all for the sake of calling them back. I mean, he wants them to be back with him. You know, I mean, he wants their restoration. I mean, th- this whole epistle will end in chapter 13 with those very words of, you know, restoration, you know, <laughs> that's that's what he wants. Wants them to bring be back in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, uh, and of the body of Christ, and to to be away from that which is false.
0: With about a minute left here, Pastor Wright, help us to wrap things up. What do we need to take from this text from First Second Corinthians eleven?
1: Sure. Well, I think what we need to take from this text um, is both um, a warning and comfort. The warning is, uh, do not be deceived by false teachers and false teachings. And kind of a caveat with, or not a caveat, a corollary to that is um, this stuff matters. You know, doctrine matters. The word of God matters. Who t- is teaching you matters. So take those seriously. The apostle Paul does, and he serves as an example, not only to show us, but to to show us um, how to take it seriously, but to show us what it is we are to take seriously. The comfort though, is that here is Paul who was sent by God himself, who was called by Christ to care for these people that god did preserve his people and we have this word of god even now that is preserved for us here and that speaks to us to show us to show us the forgiveness and compassion of christ who has is uh it is no false apostle but is our good shepherd the one who will not deceive us you know that's that's the wonderful thing that we don't have to we're not left guessing what god if god will deceive us or if god is truthful he is and he will always be truthful, and He will always speak that word. And His final word will be a word of comfort, a word of, of forgiveness and consolation, and a word that bids us to come back to Him, for He gives us peace and rest in Him alone.
0: Pastor Andy Wright serves at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. He has been helping us today to study Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 to 15. Pastor Wright, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you very much. There is no different Jesus, there is no different gospel, there is no different spirit. The one Lord Jesus Christ has one gospel for you. Salvation in Him alone cling to that true teaching. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 2 Corinthians 11, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.